Well, good morning. It is great to see you guys here and online. Welcome to All Skate Weekend. I, did anyone here notice the graphics, uh, the font in the song on the screens the first time? Our, our team thinks of everything. They had a little uh, disco thing going on, even with the fonts happening. But the daddy-daughter dance, our serve day, our joy prom last night, better man event. It's been quite a weekend. This is a great time to celebrate. And one of the things we can celebrate today is having some very special guests with us. And those are our young men and women who normally are in children's church, but they're in here today for a number of reasons. So if you are from the age of four to fifth grade and you're normally in children's church, would you stand up right now wherever you are? Because we want to tell you how proud we are of you and how glad we are that you're here. Absolutely. Okay, so since you're here, how, how would you guys like a story? All right, so kids, age four all the way to fifth grade, why don't you come down here and we'll let the adults do whatever they want to do, but we're going to have a, a, a story. So you guys coming down, I'm going to sit right here. I'm waiting on you. I'm not reading a story until you guys are up here. Uh, the story that I've got is a story that I've known for a long, long time. Look at you guys. This is awesome. like in your shoes. Can I have some of those? You think they would fit? Do you think they make shoes like that in my size? And I like that dress. Could I have a dress like that? I won't go any further on that one. And an orange? I like that. That would match my hair if I had that, right? So are you guys glad you're here? Uh-huh. It, it, it shows. This is fun. And it's, it's really fun. You know, a lot of you, your teachers are in here as well. And they're just breathing right now, regularly, in a calm way, like that rarely happens to them on uh, weekends when they're here. So uh, I am looking forward to reading this story. Have you guys ever seen this story? Alexander and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Just heard of that story? Great. I hope you like this story, because if you don't, it's going to be a long five minutes here while I read the story. And one, one of you last night said, well, could we see the movie instead of you reading it? Uh, so, but no, I'm going to read it. But just as one of you told me last night, just gave me some advice, read it with expression. Okay, so I'm going to try to do that as well. Now, I know some of you aren't going to be able to, to see over my shoulder because you're down there and I'm up here. So we've got it up on the screens. Good? All right? So you can watch up there. You can look here. So here we go. Ready to go? Are you guys ready to go? Yeah. Mm -mm. Are you ready to go? Yeah. There we go. Now we're talking. Alexander in the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day by Judith Vorst. I went to sleep with gum in my mouth and now there's gum in my hair and when I got out of bed this morning I tripped on the skateboard and by mistake I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running and I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At breakfast, Anthony found a Corvette Stingray car kit in his breakfast cereal box, and Nick found a junior undercover agent code ring in his breakfast cereal box, but in my breakfast cereal box all I found was breakfast cereal. I think I'll move to Australia. 
In the carpool, Mrs. Gibson let Becky have a seat by the window, and Audrey and Elliot got seats by the window, too. I said I was being scrunched. I said I was being smushed. I said, if I don't get a seat by the window, I'm going to be carsick. <laughs> and no one even answered. I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At school, Mrs. Dickens liked Paul's picture of the sailboat better than my picture of the invisible castle. At singing time, she said I sang too loud. At counting time, she said I left out 16. Who needs 16? I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I could tell because Paul said I wasn't his best friend anymore. He said Philip Parker was his best friend and that Albert Moyo was his next best friend and that I was only his third best friend. I hope you sit on a tack, I said to Paul. I hope the next time you get a double-decker strawberry ice cream cone, the ice cream part falls off the cone part and lands in Australia. There were two cupcakes in Philip Parker's lunch bag and Albert got a Hershey bar with almonds and Paul's mother gave him a piece of jelly roll that had little coconut sprinkles on top. And guess whose mother forgot to put in dessert? <sighs> it was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. That's what it was because after school, my mom took us all to the dentist and Dr. Fields found a cavity just in me. Come back next week and I'll fix it, said Dr. Fields. Next week, I'm going to be in Australia. On the way downstairs, the elevator door closed on my foot. And while we were waiting for my mom to go get the car, Anthony made me fall where it was muddy. And then when I started crying because of the mud, Nick said I was a crybaby. And while I was punching Nick for saying crybaby, my mom came back with the car and scolded me for being muddy and fighting. I'm having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. So then we went to the shoe store to buy some sneakers. Anthony chose white ones with blue stripes. Nick chose red ones with white stripes. I chose blue ones with red stripes, but then the shoe man said, we're all sold out. They made me buy plain old white ones, but they can't make me wear them. When we picked up my dad at his office, he said I couldn't play with his copying machine, but I forgot. He also said to watch out for the books on his desk, and I was careful as I could be, except for my elbow. He also said, don't fool around with his phone, but I think I called Australia. My dad said, please don't pick him up anymore. It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. There were lima beans for dinner, and I hate lima beans. There was kissing on TV, and I hate kissing. My bath was too hot, I got soap in my eyes, my marble went down the drain, and I had to wear my railroad train pajamas. I hate my railroad train pajamas. When I went to bed, Nick took back the pillow he said I could keep and the Mickey Mouse nightlight burned out and I bit my tongue. The cat wants to sleep with Anthony, not with me. It has been a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And my mom says some days are like that. Even in Australia. Yeah, I know, it's something. I'm really, do you like that story? So do you mind if we talk about this story a little bit more this morning with your parents and the people that brought you? Is that all right? Let's do that. All right, so you guys go back to your seats and let's, let's take a look at it. Ladies and gentlemen, would you thank these young men and women? <laughs> you guys are cool. And I like those shoes. They light up when you look at those. Okay, if the lights go out, we're coming after you. Terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days.
Adults know what those are like, don't we? Theologians will tell us it's because we live in a fallen world. We're not really tracking, though, with theology on terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days, but we should be. Because they're rooted in the fact that you and I live in a world that's broken, but also a world that's in the process of being summoned back to life. We're living in anticipation of the restoration of all things by Jesus, who inaugurated that restoration with his first advent and will culminate it with his second advent. But right now, in this in-between time, we have terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. But in the midst of those, there's hope. We're living in the midst of tons of terrible, horrible, very good, very, very bad days and a lot and a lot of our life situations and nooks and crannies. The Unisys Security Systems Index surveys 13 nations every year, 13,000 people overall, to evaluate the levels of anxiety that exist in those nations in terms of national security and economy and so forth. And what's been happening over these last 10 years is a steady rise in anxiety in all of the nations, but in the last four years, the United States has mushroomed in its anxiety. On college campuses, depression used to be the number one cause for people to go seek counseling with the, the university counseling department. Now, the number one cause is anxiety. Just read an article by a gentleman in the Atlantic about him, his battle with anxiety. And he went down a path of medication and he named 28 medications that he had tried to help deal with his anxiety. We all know what it's like to experience a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And the good news is, is the journey we're taking through a book, an ancient book that contains an ancient letter from a gentleman named Paul to a group of people named the Philippians, a church in a Roman colony in Philippi in the first century. Philippi was in the northeast corner of what you and I know as Greece. Paul was in prison under house arrest probably in Rome awaiting news of whether he would live or die. He was every day having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. The church sent a guy named Epaphroditus to him because in that era, if you didn't have somebody on the outside sending you food, you weren't going to get food. You weren't going to get care. And so Paul is writing on parchment a thank you to the church in Philippi, and the dominant theme of his letter is something that is, would astound you if you weren't familiar with the gospel and the substance of the gospel and what it does in acquainting us with this restoration that's in process because the dominant theme of Paul's letter back to the Philippians is joy and rejoicing. And here this guy is in under house arrest, chained to a Roman guard 24-7. That's why we're calling the series The Giant Secret of Joy based on a quote by G.K. Chesterton that says, joy is the gigantic secret of the Christian. Joy is not necessarily a smile, although it can be a smile, but joy can also happen with tears streaming down our face. It's a deep sense of awareness that Jesus is enough, that we're rooted in the gospel. And as we've been going through this letter, generally speaking, chapter one, we got acquainted with joy being the result of gospel priority. When I let my life revolve around Jesus instead of, instead of expecting him to revolve around me. Chapter two, a key to joy is gospel community where I reflect to Jesus to you, and one of the ways that I find joy is reflecting Jesus to you. 
Chapter three is about a number of themes, but one of them is gospel intimacy, where we're relating with Jesus. So we're not just revolving around Christ and reflecting him and relating with him. We get to chapter four and we see a fourth part of this joy, this, this formula for biblical joy, gospel joy, and it's gospel sufficiency. Relying on Jesus, even in the midst of our terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. If you've got your Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 4. If you don't, you can follow up on the screen. And if you don't own a Bible, you can ask us in the back in the foyer afterwards, and we'd love to provide one for you. Philippians chapter 4, starting with verse 4. Paul's bringing up something that's astounding, and it's this. The greater your anxiety, the greater the opportunity for joy. It's counterproductive, counterintuitive. We think the less anxiety I have, the more joy I can have. He's revealing the opposite. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Remember, chained to a Roman guard, hulking, brutal, probably not very uh, pleasant smelling guy and not very polite. Didn't care about this prisoner. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always including this moment. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Uh, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. All right, I want to go back to a couple of verses, and then we're going to go through this entire passage again. But often in Paul's epistles, you'll see this dance. I'll use a couple of big words here, kids. Apologies for just a second. But they're imperatives and indicatives. And what that means, imperatives, is us being told to do something. And, that's, and indicatives are saying this is what the result will be, in a, in a sense. This is what is, but the two are related, and there's rhythm, and you see it here. Paul is saying do some things, but here are the indicatives. Here are the results of what to do. In verse 7, he says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So kids, when you see peace of God, in one sense, what that's referring to is comfort, the comfort of God, the way that he comforts us when we're not feeling like we're safe or secure or we're not, just not very comfortable or we're sad. In verse, nine, in verse 9 of Philippians 4, he says, And the God of peace will be with you. So he's saying, the peace of God and the God of peace will be with you. He says, in the midst of your terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, and right now I'd encourage you to bring up whatever you're grappling with. Some of you are in a really, really difficult time. Others of you won't be, but that'll happen soon enough. That's by encouragement to you. So and it's because we live in a fallen world. And in the midst of that, what do we do? How can we know Christ's comfort? How can we experience his peace? That's what this passage is about. Now, I accosted this from our daddy-daughter dance decorations that were amazing. I don't know if any, any of you have ever been in a boat and had somebody on a dock come up alongside when you were a ways away and throw you the line. I want you to think of that image when you look at this text. And actually, we're being thrown the line in the midst of our storm, and the line is being thrown not just by, but by Paul, but by God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. 
This is a passage about prayer, but prayer is an answer. I'm not initiating anything when I'm praying. When I'm calling, God's initiated this. He's thrown me the rope. Now, how many of you, if, if, if you've ever been in a boat and had a line thrown to you like this and you start pulling on it, how many of us think that we're actually pulling the dock to us? We're not. The more we're pulling, we're actually pulling ourselves to us. And in a sense, that's what's happening, but even more accurately, God is pulling us to him. But what's necessary is for us to grasp this line. And what Paul is doing is saying, God is offering you a line of peace in the midst of your storm. You'll still be in the storm, but there's something about having the stability of an anchor having the peace, the comfort that we're connected with somebody who's on solid ground. And so what I wanna do is talk about this hand, these fingers that grasp this line of God's comfort, this line of his peace. And what I'm gonna do is, I, it's gonna help me remember, kids, I've got a pen, and I'm gonna write and spell on each of my fingers and spell the word grasp. So parents, if you need a pen and you're really excited about your kids writing on their finger, raise your hand. Some of our ushers have pens, but we want to make sure and not just give them to the kids because who knows what they do with them. But if uh, you want your kids to write this, kids, you can give a sales pitch to your mom and dad to let them get you a pen. But here we go. What we're going to do is go back to the, through this text. And grown-ups, you can write on your finger as well. Does this quote work? I almost hate saying it because it sounds like something that's a self-help, but the, script, the, the word of God is substantive and it does invade very practically what we're dealing with. I tried this out yesterday morning. I was speaking at a conference in, out west uh, Friday and flying back yesterday morning. I, uh, it was kind of important that I get back for last night and I walk up to the ticket agent and see the, the flight wasn't boarding and she said, uh, yeah, the, the wing is broken. <laughs> True quote right there. I said, the wing is broken. All right, I guess uh, that plane's not gonna fly. She says, nope. I said, any other options? And she says, I think we can get another plane. We've just gotta find one that's not broke. I said, great, I would really prefer that as well. So I'm dealing with, am I going to get back here or not? And I actually went to G-R-A-S-P. I said, all right, if I'm going to talk about this this weekend, let's see. And sure enough, the comfort of Jesus is there. Let's go through these one at a time. On my thumb, I'm going to write the letter G. And G stands for, if I'm in the midst of a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, what do I do to grasp this line of Christ's comfort, the line of his peace, his shalom, his enoughness? Is I, the first finger that goes around it is G. I'm, I become grateful. It's, grasping his peace involves being grateful for who he is and what he's capable of. Go back to the text for a minute. Verse 4, Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord. When you finally get everything figured out and things are all right and you're no longer in the middle of a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, rejoice in the Lord. No. He says, rejoice in the Lord what? That wasn't enough of you. Rejoice in the Lord what? Always. It's haunting to me. Really? 
But the credibility from the context and circumstance from which Paul is writing that, I have to listen to him. Rejoice in the Lord always, even in the midst of your terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. He says, in case you miss it, I'll say it again, rejoice. So be grateful. Earlier, uh, last year at the University of California in San Diego, they did a study on gratitude and came up with the conclusion that basically gratitude and stress are incompatible. It's going to be one or the other. You got to pick either being stressful or being gratitude because you can't do both. In fact, gratitude, they started looking, has big time impacts on me, even physiologically, lower blood pressure, higher uh, boosted immune system. They start outlining even lifespans, the ability to withstand pressure, less inflammation, less fatigue, more efficient sleep. The list goes on and on, being grateful. But what Paul is talking about is not a positive mental attitude trick to say, I'm just going to be grateful. There is an object to his gratitude. He says, rejoice in what? In the Lord. So it's not just say, hey, let's put a bow on whatever the situation, circumstance, and find the positive. He's saying, no, I want you to go substantively and be grateful for God's enoughness, sufficiency, his truth, everything about who he is in the midst of whatever you're doing. If you want to know his peace, start being grateful. A friend of mine named Jeff Mannion wrote a book years ago called The Land Between. And in it, he talks about every one of us has an unwelcome guest in, our, in the home of our heart and our lives, and it's the guest of complaint. We all know complaint. Don't we? we've, I, we've, I think we all have PhDs in complaint. We all know how to complain. Nobody has. And, and what Jeff says is the only way to, to get complaint away from the... T- your dinner table, is to invite another guest, and that's the guest of trust. Those two are incompatible. You can't, you're either trusting God or you're complaining. You can't do both at the same time. And what I would add to that is the way to invite trust into the equation is begin to practice gratitude. And to begin to thank God for who he is and what he does, what we talk about every week here. Romans chapter 1, verse 21 says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks. At the epicenter of our depravity is a refusal to be grateful. And in the midst of stress, when we think we can figure it out, we go the other direction from being grateful to panic, to complaining, to fear, to bitterness. And all of a sudden, our thinking becomes futile and our foolish hearts get darkened. Instead, opting for what Hebrews 13, 15 says, and this is not Paul, most scholars would say, this is another writer, but he says something very similar to Paul. Paul has said, rejoice in the Lord, what? How often? Always. Look at what the writer of Hebrews says. Hebrews 13, verse 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us, oh, another word that kind of disturbs me. Continually. Continually. Offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. So in the midst of my terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, for me to grasp his peace, his comfort, will involve being grateful. And you're saying, be grateful in the midst of this awfulness? Paul's saying that with great credibility. 
Friday, Billy Graham was buried. Some of you watched his, his funeral, a man who's had a great impact, and it caused me to think about his ministry over the years. And somebody that joined him for a number of years in his crusades was a woman named Corey Ten Boom. And she was a woman, Dutch, was, a, was taken to a Nazi concentration camp. Horrific, horrific circumstances as you can only imagine. And I remember hearing her say at one of Billy Graham's meetings, and you talk about credibility, her sister had died in a concentration camp. She had been treated awfully. She said this, there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. That's been grateful. But it takes more than one finger to grasp this, this piece. So what's the next one? Kids, you got the pen out. Put an R on this finger. For me to grasp the comfort of Jesus, the peace of God will involve not only me being grateful, but R, me relying on him. Being grateful for him, but me relying on him. Go back to the text. Look at the first part of verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Now, that's an odd thing to say. And the reason it sounds odd is because translators have really struggled to translate the Greek word that is present here into an English word that's equivalent. In fact, this past week, uh, there were at least 16 to 17 English words that I saw scholars recommending as the equivalent of this word. Nobody can really agree on it because it's so unique. The best commentary on scripture is other scripture. So if you see a pastor, you're not sure, okay, what does that mean? Is there, is there, are there other occasions in the word of God where this comes up as well? This exact Greek word comes up again, and it's also translated gentleness in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. It says, by the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. Some of you are saying, wow, well, that really helped. Thanks. But let's go there for just a minute. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, there was a posture that Jesus had in the presence of difficulty. In fact, Peter talks about it as well. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, says, when they hurled their insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, listen, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. You're saying, I'm still not tracking, okay? Listen carefully. The gentleness of Jesus was a confidence because he knew the bigger picture. He knew the outcome. He knew he had the resources to deal with it. And he was not bothered by a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day or people because there was a deeper sense of confidence in the enoughness of the Father. He know, knew the overall title. Now, I didn't see this word in any of the scholarly books that I was reading this week, but I'm gonna propose a new word that Paul should have used. I'm gonna, instead of gentleness, let's try the word chill. Paul is saying, let your gentleness or let your chill be evident to everybody else. What's he meaning by that? Because you are so confident, because you're relying on the enoughness of Jesus. May that be evident. May your gentleness, may your chill be evident to the people around you in the midst of your terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Something that I need to go ahead and let you guys know, I, as we're getting to know one another, 
there's an item that's going to please some of you and not please others of you. And it's this. I'm an Auburn University football fan. <laughs> Die hard. I grew up in Alabama, and no, I'm not an Alabama fan. Those of you who are Alabama fans, we can just have a church fight to this morning, work it out. But SEC football, Southeastern Conference football, to me, I, I love it. And I, my entire family went to Auburn. I'm the only one who didn't because I was playing tennis at the time, and it was related to that decision. The first time my wife, you know, one of the great rivalries in college football is the Auburn-Alabama game. And the first Auburn-Alabama game that my wife saw me watch was the five months after we were married. So it was too late. She couldn't get out of the, the deal. Because she saw her husband transform before her very eyes. I am saying energetic things at the TV. I'm standing in the doorway. I don't know why I'm pushing the door frame. I'm pacing, uh, spilling, I'm, she's looking at me saying, who are you and what happened to Matt? But I mean, it's important. So uh, over the years, thankfully, because especially doing what I do, I'm often speaking and stuff on weekends and teaching. Thankfully, there's such a thing as video recording and DVRs. And so when I can't watch the Auburn, Alabama game, I always record it. In fact, I even record it when I'm watching it live. But, uh, and people, and this is going to happen now, it's, I'm divulging it, so it's going to happen, sure enough. If I'm speaking or teaching somewhere during the Auburn, Alabama game, and somebody knows I'm a fan, they don't know what I'm doing. And so this happened several years ago. I was done, about to head home, you know, get, get, get done with all the church stuff. Let's go to the important thing, go see the Auburn, Alabama game. Uh, sorry, true confessions. So anyway, I'm about to leave, and somebody says, hey, Matt, congratulations about Auburn. They pulled that one out. That's awesome. That's awesome, yeah, thanks. And I didn't tell them, they didn't know what I was doing. But when I got home, there's something different happened. I watched it just like I used to. I like to watch it not knowing the outcome. Here I knew the outcome. And I don't know the, the, all the specifics, but here's a little of what happened. Alabama kicked off to Auburn, opening kickoff. Auburn fumbles the kickoff. Alabama recovers on about the 25. Two plays later, they score. And I'm saying, huh. That's interesting. This will be great seeing how Auburn's going to get out of this. I wasn't bothered at all. Bama kicks off to Auburn. Auburn fumbles again. Bama goes in and scores and said, and I just looking at that and saying, huh, just keep eating the popcorn. That's too bad. Let's see what happens. You know what's going on there? My gentleness is evident to all in the room. I'm chill. Why am I chill? Because I know the outcome. I'm relying on the knowledge that I have that Auburn actually is going to pull this out. That's what Paul is referring to. He says, for you to grasp the comfort of Jesus, use gratitude and be grateful for who he is, but also use this finger to grasp hold of the rope and rely on him, rely on his enoughness, be confident in him, I trust in him. But there's a third finger. I'm going to write the letter A, G-R-A, for me to grab hold in the midst of my terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. How are you feeling with somebody with a rope right behind your neck? How am I going to grasp hold of his comfort and his peace? I'm going to be grateful for him and rely on him. 
Third finger, I'm going to be aware of him. Aware of him. Go back to the text. Second part of verse 5. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, uh, there's a fancy theological word out there. This could be an eschatological statement, meaning it could be focusing on Christ's return when he culminates the restoration of all things. Uh, I, I think the, it, it's not dictated by the text, I, and therefore I would embrace both. The Lord is near, meaning his coming is, is soon, but also what the more natural, obvious interpretation it is that he is near. He's here right now. He is with us. Psalm 145, verse 15, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. The reformers referred to living life quorum Deo, consciously quorum Deo, Latin phrase quorum in the face of Deo God, living our lives, doing our work, our taxes, our parties, our difficulties, engaging with our terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. Quorum Deo in the face of God, living all of our lives knowing we're in his presence and he's with us. We're under his authority and we're living to his glory. Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Verse 7. Where can I flee from your presence? Some of you are right now in the midst. In fact, I think you're starting to trust. I'm not saying it glibly when I say terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Even though it's a children's story, you're in the midst of one. And I'm hoping you're hearing my heart for you in the midst of the brokenness and the shrapnel and the mess of whatever you're dealing with. And my encouragement to you is gospel encouragement. And the epicenter of that encouragement is that he's here right now with you in the midst of the mess. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. Dallas Willard tells the story of a little boy. Uh, his mom was no longer with him. And he went to his dad in the middle of the night and said, can I, can I get in bed with you? Can I sleep with you? He's four years old or so. And his dad said yes, and it was pitch dark. And the little boy was just overwhelmed with anxiety about all that was going on in his life. But he couldn't see his dad. But every now and then, he'd call out into the darkness, Daddy, are you toward me? Are you looking toward me? Are you facing my direction? And his dad would speak out of the darkness and say, yes. And right now for some of you, you're saying, Father, are you toward me or not? Hear the prophet Isaiah. God speaking through him. Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10, so do not fear, God says, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. For I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I'll be enough for you. 
But if I'm really going to grasp his peace and his comfort, it will be involve being grateful for him, thanking him for who he is and what he does. It'll involve relying on him, meaning I'm depending on him for every aspect, knowing he's trustworthy. It'll mean grasping him with this, this, this line of peace with an awareness that he's present, knowing that Jesus is here right now. But on this fourth finger, I'm going to put an S. And that reminds me for the way for me to, to grasp the comfort of Jesus is to share my needs with him. That's what Paul tells us to do. He says, grasp the peace of God. Be assured that the God of peace will be with you. When you grasp his extended arm and you're grateful for him, you're relying on him, you're aware of him, but also you're sharing your needs. Go back to the text. Verse 6. By the way, any of you have uh, use e-books, Kindle? Yes, a few. Do you highlight? I, that's one of my struggles with e-books because I love highlighting and I still do it, but I, I, much, I really like having a book where I can underline. But when I'm reading an e-book, I'll still highlight. Well, Amazon keeps track of what's highlighted in all of their e-books and so they can rank them. And every year it's fascinating to see what are the most highlighted passages in various books and overall. In the Bible, the most highlighted passage you would think might be John 3.16 or Psalm 23, and it's not. It's Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation. You see a theme here? Always, rejoice always, continually offer praise in every situation. And I, therefore, I cannot say except in this one. Or can I say maybe this situation is, is too small. I, I, I'm, I hear you talking about terrible, horrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. I'm really in an okay season in my life, but I got this one thing, but I think it probably is too small for God. Nothing is too small. His greatness causes him to be very small as well. And in his transcendence, he can be imminent. He can be right here in his bigness. It's because of his bigness that he can come to whatever small thing I might be grappling with. But in every situation, by prayer, that's an expression of trust, and petition, that's an expression of humility, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's not a matter of me just saying prayers. It's a matter of me talking with them. Prayers, liturgies are wonderful, but when I read those prayers, I need to read them and personalize them and, and engage. I need to pray and talk with him. Why am I letting him know what my need is at that point? No, yesterday when my, I had a, my plane had a broken wing, I thought, all right, let's do this. I said, Father, the plane has a broken wing. And he didn't, he, he, God doesn't say at that point, what? You're kidding me. Last time I checked, the wing was fine. No, he knows. <laughs> when I'm praying, I'm not informing God. I'm responding to his summons, his invitation to intimacy in that moment. Francois Fignon was a 17th century priest. He exhorts you and me centuries later. Here's what he says. Tell God all that's in your heart. Go ahead, tell him. As one unloads one's heart, its pleasures, and its pains to a dear friend, tell God your troubles that he may comfort you. Tell him your joys that he may sober them. Tell him your longings that he may purify them. Tell him your dislikes 
that he may help you to conquer them. Talk to him of your temptations that he may shield you from them. Show him the wounds of your heart that he may heal them. Lay bare your indifference to good, your depraved tastes for evil, your instability. If you thus pour out all your weaknesses, needs, troubles, there will be no lack of what to say. You will never exhaust the subject. It is continually being renewed. And blessed are they who attain to such familiar, unreserved dialogue with God. Just talk with him. Pray. Well, I fall asleep when I'm praying. Okay, you know what? Then walk. It's hard to fall asleep. For me, it's hard to fall asleep when I'm walking. Take a hike. Wander around. Journal. Grasp this peace. But there's a fifth finger. P. For me to grasp the peace of God, the comfort of Jesus, is not just to be grateful for him and rely on him and be aware of his presence with me and share my needs with him and just talk it through, but I need to pursue him in my thoughts and in my actions, in the midst of the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. A lot of times we think, I'll pursue him when I get out of this situation. But no, we are to pursue him in the midst of it. Paul is writing this from prison, verse, verse 8 and 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, no, 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 not waiting until you're done out of the difficulty now. And not just thinking, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, so behave. And the God of peace will be with you. In the midst of the storm, we panic. I don't want to spend time dwelling on that. The, the ancient philosophers and even contemporary philosophers were talking about the ancient transcendentals, goodness, truth, beauty. In this text, you see goodness, truth, and beauty. Take a look. Goodness, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, truth, whatever is true, whatever is right, beauty, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. Focus on these things. One of my favorite movies, and I've got this is a caveat. This is not a recommendation to you families to go get this movie. I, whenever I mention movies, it's not an endorsement or tell. Well, that, that's from personal experience. And one time I mentioned a movie, a family came up to me the next week horrified. They said, you mentioned that movie. We, movie, we rented it that afternoon and watched it as a family. I said, I didn't tell you to, I wasn't asking you to do that. It's just a favorite movie of mine. All right, is that enough of a caveat? Shawshank Redemption. A dark, fascinating, powerful film about Andy DeFrance who was wrongly committed of, uh, convicted of murder and put in Shawshank Prison back in the 1930s, a very dark place. Midway through the movie, Andy DeFrance locks himself in the warden's office and puts on a record of Mozart's Marriage of Figaro. He starts playing it and puts the microphone to the loudspeaker, the sound system of the prison. So the sound of the marriage of Figaro being sung invades the entire prison. And as read, one of his fellow prisoners said, that day it was like a beautiful bird invaded our drab little cage. And for the briefest of moments, all of Shawshank felt free because goodness and truth and beauty had entered that dark place. 
Andy spent two weeks in the hole for his stunt. He got out and he was having lunch with his buddies and they got into a conversation about beauty. Andy said, you need it. You need it. I need it here. Don't you guys feel that way about beauty and about music? And Red says, I, I used to. And he said, what do you mean? He said, I used to play a pretty mean harmonica when I was a younger man, but there's no use for it in here. And Andy says, this is where you need it the most. We need beauty in this place so that we remember. And Red says, remember what? And Andy says, remember that not everything is made of stone. That there are pockets of beauty. Even in the midst of the worst of environments and situations. That's what Paul's referring to in prison. Saying whatever's true and good and beautiful. You think about these things. Later in the movie, Andy smuggles in for his buddy Red a harmonica. And he says, I want you to start playing this thing again. Paul is saying, you want to grasp the peace of God. Be grateful. Rely on him. Be aware of him. Share your needs and pursue him. Pursue goodness and truth and beauty. Taste grace in the midst of the storm. Now, some people that have taught me a lot about that are our friends with disabilities. They are a powerful group of men and women that courageously choose joy and courageously play their harmonicas in the midst of terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days that most of us will never come close to. And one of the highlights of the year in our community is what we refer to very intentionally as the joy prom. It was last night. Any of you here at the Joy Prom? Huh? There we go. And we're going to show you guys more in coming days. I'm about to close in prayer in just a second. But before I do, I'm going to encourage you and exhort you. I want you to take two minutes with a harmonica. The harmonica that's being played by some men and women. We had about 300 volunteers, over 100 friends with disabilities. It's an Academy Award-winning type night in the sense of Oscar style. Each of our friends with disabilities are introduced by name. They have a date from our student ministries department that accompanies them and they come down the red carpet and they go in and there's dancing and there's worship and there's food. I had four or five friends tell me last night, they looked me in the eye and said, this is my favorite night of the year. And it's because Northland as a gospel community is learning to choose joy and choose a harmonica even in the midst of the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days of a fallen world. Would you just take a minute? These are just raw, this raw footage from some iPhones. Take a look, and then I'll close this. We've got two, that was one of the two VIPs of the red carpet. We've got Becky and Gina, escorted by Laura and 
some that are deaf, and they're clapped for as well. Let's get live from Madison in a day. joy in the midst of terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days called living in a fallen world. And those men and women teach me more about joy than anyone on this planet. Let's stand together. We're so glad that you've been here. Some of you, before you leave, you need to pray with somebody up front or talk with them. Don't carry a burden out of here that you don't need to be carrying alone. Others of you find out how to connect out at our connect area. There's popcorn out there for our all skate. Who can have an all skate without popcorn? But for all of you, I want to encourage you, would you open your palms right now just as a posture of receptivity? And in the midst of whatever terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days you might be dealing with, I offer you this, and I offer you the joy in the midst of the darkness that, the, that only the gospel can give. So go, live your lives, do your relationships, deal with your, your jobs, your stresses, but do so in the shadow of the gospel and with the joy of Jesus Christ. And may we be such a community in days to come. Amen and amen. Amen. Mm -hmm.